Welcome to 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness with your host, Dr. Rob Bell. Dr. Rob interviews expert coaches, executives, and athletes about mental toughness and their hinge moments. The hinge. It connects who we are with who we've become, and it only takes one. And now for your host, Dr. Rob. Well, my daughters, my kids are, they've drank the Kool-Aid on all this sports psychology stuff. So my daughters want to do it. And I said, aha, no, 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 no. I'm not doing that. So they said, well, look, dad, if you don't do it, all that stuff you tell your team, that's a lie. You're living a lie. And I go, oh man, they stuck a dagger in my heart. I said, oh my gosh. Okay. Okay. I've been called out because they, they start saying the same thing. Oh, you're afraid to get out of your comfort zone and you know. Uh, face your fears and you know, all that. So I'm going, oh my gosh. This podcast, 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness, is brought to you by our sponsor, SOS Rehydrate. It's an organic drink mix as effective as an IV drip. It's proven by science and used by elite athletes because only the best will do for elite athletic performance. So for all your hydration needs, our listeners today get 15% off if you enter the code mental toughness at INeedSOS.com. This episode is brought to you by Some Sleep. Go to GetSome.com. That's G-E-T-S-O-M.com. We all deserve a better night's sleep. You drink one can 30 minutes before bed, and it's that simple. This awesome blend lets you not only fall asleep fast, but then wake up feeling absolutely refreshed, not hungover or foggy. You're going to absolutely love this product. And in fact, if you go to GetSome.com and enter in the promo code DrRobBell, D-R-R-O-B-B-E-L-L, you get 10% off. Guarantee you're going to love this product. Go there right away. So our guest today, he's the uh, head football coach of UC Davis Aggies. He was the head coach at Willamette before becoming the head coach at Boise State, which is where I started following this coach. He was two-time WAC Coach of the Year. He was also the head coach of the Colorado Buffaloes from 2006 to 2010. Uh, he served as ESPN analyst for five years before now leading his men in his current role at UC Davis, where in his playing days as a fullback, he was a four-time letter winner. Uh, their season opens up at California on August 31st. Our guest today is Coach Hawk, Dan Hawkins. Thanks for joining us, man. Hey, Rob. I'm really, really honored. I think it's just cool through the power of technology we were able to connect. And then, of course, I've been really following your podcasts and listening to the people you've had on and uh, reading your website and need to follow up with some of your books. And uh, But uh, I think definitely you and I are kind of in the same wheelhouse when it comes to some of this stuff. You're a little more educated than I am, but uh, definitely have the same passion for it. No, Coach, I appreciate that. And when we get done, I'll, I'll send you the books, Coach. That'd be fine. Anything you want. Oh, man. great. Great. Um, now, this is a podcast about mental toughness and hinge moments. And, you know, as a coach, I mean, you talk about doing the little things like studying film, pushing yourself in the weight room, you know, being a good teammate. 
Um, as, a, as a coach, though, what's the mental toughness needed as a coach? Uh, it's interesting because people, and I think you've asked people on your show before, you know, what, what is their definition of it? And I, and I think it's really the, uh, the ability to do what needs to be done when the environment doesn't allow for that. And, uh, so many times I think you have to be the, um, you have to be the enabler or the, uh, you have to be the joy. You have to be the inspiration at certain times. You have to be the governor at other times. It's not always to your whim. It's what's best for the, for the organization. And Hey, Lord knows I haven't always handled it exactly great, but, uh, you're in the crucible a lot, particularly when it comes to being at the highest levels of collegiate athletics. And I coached in the Canadian football league as well. So I was in professional football a little bit. Uh, but you really have to be the governor and you really have to focus as you well know, this is, you really have to focus on the process. And when you start getting hung up in product orientation and, and what happens good or bad, and you're not mentally tough enough to hang in there with your philosophy and know what your philosophy is, then you start getting knocked around, uh, by media or you know bad performances and so that's where i think it's it's mentally tough or a coach has to be mentally tough because you better have a white hot vision for what it is you're doing and why you're doing it and how you're doing it and have enough faith that there's going to be some ebbs and flows either way in terms of the product but You've got to be able to keep your feet on the fire and, and know what you're doing and believe in what you're doing and really stick with the plan. That white hot vision, Coach. I love that one, man. I might borrow that one. Yeah. Somebody goes, where, where did you get that? And I go, well, that's, you know, if you really, you're into science and you, that, that's where the, the flame is the hottest down there. Um, and I just think you really have to have that conviction. And I look at the times in my life when we really have been able to accomplish some, some amazing things. And we have, we've had some great successes in our programs, but you're just so convicted. And uh, we actually went to our Big Sky meetings this, this weekend. I was talking to another coach and he goes, man, it's just amazing talking to you. You just, you just believe so strongly in what it is you're doing and how you're doing it. You just know it's going to, you know, good things are going to happen. And I said, well, I appreciate that because like you talk about the hinge, I've made so many mistakes that I've learned from those mistakes and you certainly don't want to go down those roads anymore. Right. Um, I mean, coach, you, you played fullback right when you're done fullback, you turn around and played for, I mean, you were a graduate assistant then for your coach. Um, I mean, you've been coaching since the early eighties, man. I mean, you've got the PhD <laughs> in it, you know, I mean, yeah. what is it? How have you changed, do you think, as a coach from, from all these years? Rob, it's really amazing. Um, and I think if you're just open to learning and open to reinventing yourself, uh, because you're right, there's so many things that are different. The game is different. Kids are different. Uh, you've dealt with that a little bit on your show, just the anxiety and the loneliness and you know separation and uh, the, the kids are dealing with today and a lot of it has to do with the screen time and social media traction and um, but it is dramatically different and I've always enjoyed trying to recreate myself and learn and um, 
sometimes those hinge moments make you do that. If you're willing to take notes, if you're willing to say, oh, okay, what do I learn from this? It, it used to be such a simpler game. It used to be uh, in everything, the way you physically train, the way you mentally train. I mean, you've done a lot of great things in your, your uh you know, sports psychology realm of helping people. I mean, think about, we always say the mind is to the body is four is to one. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, and there's no question that is the case. But how many times are we really actually doing that? No, we're spending a lot of time on the grass and watching film, and, but we're not, we're not. But I'm just gotten way deeper into the mental, emotional side of it. Uh, I was talking to our guys, our team captains the other day about getting our guys to meditate and think about clearing their mind and calming their mind. And it's really been an unbelievable journey because it was a simpler time. They didn't train year round. You didn't have all the media attention. It was, it was less pressure. It was less scrutinization. Um, but now we have all these other factors coming there. So I think as a coach, you can't. I think in one sense, kids are still the same. They really are. But the parameters are dramatically different. So you just have to keep taking notes and you just have to keep learning and you have to have a rage to master and continue to, and you know, and I think one of the reasons I was so uh, attracted to you a little bit, I'm, I'm just, I'm like a crack addict with this stuff right now because <laughs> I just think it is so important. And I talked to our strength coach about it all the time and I'm talking to our kids about it and I I say it's like cooking spaghetti I just keep throwing it against the wall till some of it sticks with certain kids uh, but it is dramatically different there's no doubt the game schematically how we train uh, physically mentally our approach to it it's uh, obviously in the sport of football you're dealing with the concussion issue now which is dramatically different than it used to be and but I think that's the fun part of it it's the dynamic part of it. it's the continue to evolve part of it Mm -hmm. That's awesome, Coach. I mean, you know, you, you talked about learning there and growth. I mean, one of the things you've spoken about, like, is is with your family, um, you know, doing Machu Picchu, skydiving. Um, I mean, can you share a little bit more about, like, what you mean by that, those life experiences? And Yeah. So uh, you, you know this and you deal with – and I'm not trying to placate you, but I just really resonate with a lot of stuff that you say. But, I appreciate you know, that. You know, one, one of the things is you – as a human being, we have to be able to get out of our comfort zone and we have to not be afraid to fail. Now, that's easy to say, but what a human being has to be able to understand is that, you know, when I if and when I do fail, that's a tremendous learning moment. It's a my getting in the fire enables me to grow so much. And I grew up in this little dinky logging town in extreme northern California and uh, didn't really travel around much, hadn't really seen the world and so many things out there. And uh, But I'll give you the skydiving. I, I'm not a big heights guy. I can do it, but mm -hmm. it takes a lot of mental visualization to do it. Well, my daughters, my kids, are they've drank the Kool-Aid on all this sports <laughs> psychology stuff. So... My daughters want to do it. And I said, ah, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not doing that. So they said, well, look, Dad, if you don't do it, all that stuff you tell your team, that's a lie. Right. You're living a lie. And I go, oh, man, they stuck a dagger in my heart. I said, oh, my gosh. Okay. Okay. I've been called out. Because they, they start saying the same thing. Oh, you're afraid to get out of your comfort zone. And, yeah. you know, uh, face your fears and you know all that. So I'm going, oh, my gosh. 
So every commercial flight I took, I would sit near the window. I usually like sit during the at the aisle. Yeah. I would sit in the in the window and I would visualize myself jumping out of the plane. You really prepared for that, yeah. I did. I just kept busily kind of going, okay, the guy's on my back. I got the chute on. I'm crawling over. It's windy. And whoop, there I go. And so actually when I did it, it was no problem. But I tell everybody, you should do it at least once. And they're going, no, no. And you hear this. I love this because people go, I can't do that. I can't do that. I could never do that. And I go, you could do it if you wanted to. Yeah. You could. You know, it's like you running, you know, your marathons, and I tried to, uh, we got waylaid there, but they go, I can't do that, I can't do that. I, so, but I'm going, you could do it if you really want to do it. Yep. You could do it. Yep. Um, and so, to me, that's expanding the boundaries. Shoot, we, we ran with the bulls in Pamplona once, and my heart was pounding, and it was, it was an unbelievable thrill, but the same thing, my wife's going, eh, what if you get run over? What if you get gored? Which happens there. Yeah. Uh, but you're kind of going, oh, okay. And then right after that, I walked the Camino de Santiago from France to to the coast of Spain. Great. And, and, and again, that's, I don't know, it's 400 and some kilometers. It was 27 days of walking. And, you know, people go, I could never do that. I could never do that. And I go, you could do it. Like, you could do it. You just have to put one foot in front of the other. You could do it. So these experiences, I think, keep forcing me to uh, – to grow and learn and get outside my comfort zone. And uh, they have these tall ships that sail around. And, and I really am fascinated by these tall ships, these big, basically pirate ships. And mm-hmm. so this one I've been following is this Russian ship. They speak mostly Russian with a little bit of English. And I kept saying, I'm getting on one of those. I'm getting on one of those. But I, we've been redoing our house for a year and I haven't been able to do it. But anyhow, the, the crux of it is those experiences to me um, – they just make you grow. I mean, I ju- I jumped in a shark uh, cage with great whites in, down in South Africa. And, nice. And, and people go, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. And I'm going, guys, it's really not, it's not that scary. But all these things are possible. And I think when, when we came to Davis, uh, in, in two years we won the championship, and people are going, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, did you think you could turn it around that fast? Or, you know, how, how did you do that? And I said, well, just blow the lid, blow the lid off of what's possible, and then let's just go. Let's throw a rock on the gas pedal and let's go. So these these experiences kind of inspire me, and I try to feed it back onto our team uh, and our staff. Yeah, that's awesome, Coach. You know, I, I wrote out a list a long time ago, 100 things I want to do before I die. Um, I did skydiving, but running with the bulls is still on there. I haven't done that one yet. But, you know, I mean, I look at skydiving, I mean – yeah, the bells and whistles go off big time when that door opens, but all you have to do is jump, right? Yeah, and uh, what's amazing, I don't know how it was for you, but I tell people the expected feeling that most people hate from from you know heights is, and you did, you fell off a cliff. I'm interested in hearing your story sure. about that, but like they think you're going to have this feeling of your body falling, and I don't know how it was for you, but when we when I skydived, it was like I just slid out on glass. It was. Yeah. The feeling of dropping, no, I didn't hardly feel at all. No, and I was you get close to close to the ground, and the guy's tapping you on the back, and he's pointing at the ground, like, "See that ground coming up? We we got to pull this chute." And that was the thing, like when you jump out, like the sky. I mean, the ground is so far away; it's not like even you know, you're not even thinking about that. I I, I like the way you describe it. There's glass because I always felt it's one of those things that's tough to describe. 
but I felt like someone said it was kind of like cotton. And I was like, you know, that's, yeah. that's, a, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good analogy there. Cause, um, you know, I only yeah. got scared when they pulled the chute. Now I can see the ground and falling doesn't hurt. It's hitting. It hurts. You know? <laughs> yeah. You know about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 80, 80 feet. You had a few, uh, you had a few thoughts go through your head. What, what was that like? Yeah, coach. I mean, I still remember to this day, uh, it's one of the, the points that I share with the, you know, the, the athletes and people that I talk with, I mean, my, you know, I got off on the wrong track, you know, and, uh, God saved me, gave me a second chance and I wasn't going to blow that second chance. Um, but I was conscious during the whole time. And, you know, it's just the one thing about pain that we remember is, you know, I'm walking around campus. Now I'm that guy. Like, Oh my God, that's the guy. <laughs> you, know, you know, nobody wants to be that guy, you know, yeah. but that was yeah. me. And, um, and we talk about pain. Like I remember it hurt. I remember how much pain I was in, but that was nothing compared to the emotional pain of letting myself down and all the hard work that I had done. And I blew it. And then there was a lot of pain like associated with that, you know, and I always say that mental pain is a lot more, a lot more difficult, a lot more harder to deal with than that physical pain. We can, I can handle that stuff. Um, but, uh, I like the way you kind of switch it on me, coach. That was good. Well, it obviously it became a force multiplier for you. And as you talk about the hinge moments, that's if you can do that, if you have people that convince you of that and mentor you there, and that's what coaching and what you do, that's the beauty of it is you can help them make sense of it. But man, it became a force multiplier. And I mean, I got fired at Colorado in 2010 and I'd kind of been on this joyride for a while and that was getting hit in the head in the front. Well, it was really wasn't getting in the head. It was like stealing your heart. It was like a ninja reached in and pulled your heart out and it was yeah. beating in front of you. And, but that's, you, if you're able to transform that, I tell people I'm 8,000 times better coach than I've ever been right now because of that. Can you, you know, cause I mean, there's two types of coaches, right? Those that have been fired and those that will, I mean, I've been fired. Um, I don't think there's a worse feeling, but not on a national level like you have. Can you, yeah. can you talk about that coach that experience? Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, you go through a whole range of emotions. Um, you know, partly you're you're embarrassed, uh, you're disappointed, you feel bad for your family, you feel feel bad for the coaches uh, that are on your staff that got to put for sale signs in their yards. Uh, I was in a unique situation probably because our son was on our team. He actually handled it great. He was he was awesome, uh, and he was still on the team uh, when I got fired. But uh, I really. I really beat myself up about it for a while. And I'm always one of those kind of mastery oriented people. And my dad raised me like that. And that, Hey, if you control the 5% of what you can control, you'll mm -hmm. probably be okay. But we're, we're in a world where we want to blame the officials or our boss or we, it's easy to do that. You know, it's easy to not take responsibility. So I really was. And part of the reason I did some of these things, my wife, God bless her. She was, she was great. When I walked the Camino, she was like, you need to go. I did it by myself. You, you need to go. Um, and then actually after I got fired at Canada, in Canada, a few years ago after that, I, I walked to base camp in Everest. So I'm always like, Hey, walk, walk it out. You know, all these warrior yeah. cultures and you know this from running your marathons, but all these warrior cultures, man, you get out there and like on the Camino, they say the first part's for your body, the second part's for your mind, and the last part's for your soul, and when you really kind of touch yourself. 
But the Colorado experience, man, I just started taking notes. I really just went back and said, okay, what was everything that went wrong? What could I have done differently? How would I have changed? What should I have done? Um, and that really kind of helped transform my thing because obviously we'd had some tremendous success. I came from a Hall of Fame coach at Davis, a yep. place that won 20 conference championships in a row. I go to a high school job. I'm 25 years old. We win the Sacramento City Championship. Uh, I go to a junior college. We end up winning the championship. I go to Willamette. We go to the national championship. I go to Boise State. We're ranked in the you know in the top 15 in the country. And you go to Colorado, and you're thinking, well, we're gonna, we're going to keep working. We cut, we know what we're doing here. And but what I what I wasn't savvy enough is just like all parameters change. Like sometimes they need different dynamics. You can't always just exactly recreate and. We talked about the white hot vision, and I did have a white hot vision in those those places. And really, my white hot vision going to Colorado was, in a sense, doing what I'd been doing instead of stepping back and going, "Okay, what does this place need? What has to happen? What do I have to do differently at this place?" So, I mean, it rocked me. It rocked me to my core. You kind of figure out who your friends are. I mean, you're. You go from your phone just blowing up to <laughs> nobody. Right. And th that's why even now, like, guys that are on the hot seat, quote, unquote, or, you know, they get fired. I t always try to reach out and talk to them just because I know, you know, what it's like. And I've been there. And you're, it's, a, it's a dark place. It is. And it's, a, like you said, it's humiliating people in the national media writing about you. But, again, you go back to those fundamental core values of control. You can control, yeah. right? Just because everybody thinks you're a genius doesn't mean you are. If everybody thinks you're an idiot, it doesn't matter what you, you know, it matters what you think. So control what you can control. Be strong in there. Uh, but it taught me a lot of things schematically. It taught me a lot of things about myself. And, you know, it says in a good book, humility before honor. And, I'm, you know, you like you said, you got fired. You do things long enough and you put yourself out there and you keep trying, you keep straining you are going to have some adversity and you're going to fail. And then it's like, what did I learn from that? Um, and it was a, it was later in my career, but that was a huge hinge moment. Huge. Coach, you, um, I mean, you said something that was pretty profound. So I mean, you talked about going into that situation as a coach, you've been successful and then being able to, being able to self-evaluate and look at your parameters, how this situation is different. I mean, if you were talking to other coach, like how would you do that? I mean, because again, it's going to a big five conference, going to a bigger school, bigger budget. Um, we think bigger is better, but not always. I mean, what would you? I guess I'm I'm not really asking like what would you do different, but if you were to give advice then to another coach who's going in a different situation, how would you coach him up in that? It's interesting you ask that, Rob, because I've I've talked to some coaches about this, and. Some of it is, you again, going back to that humility factor of not just feeling like, well, I've been doing this for all. I know what I'm doing. I'm good. I'm coming in there with a strong level of confidence of, of asking more questions of, you know, what is this situation like? What is it going to require? What are the unique abilities that I have? Do I fit this situation? Can I actually have success here in, in, the, in the large scope? And, and then also looking within the conference of uh, – Again, what, what does it take? Who are the people that you need? Um, who, who are the coaches that you need? Who, who understands the league? What niche can you have in the league? Uh, you know this. I mean, you're, you're in the state where, you know, basketball is the king and 
you know, f- football they're trying. But like, okay, if I'm if I'm in Indiana and I'm going to go play Ohio State, well, I better have a unique plan. I better have a different set of. I'm not just going to line up and give it the old college try because it's just not going to happen. So it's it's knowing to ask a lot of questions of a lot of people of what they think and also. You know this. I think one key question that particularly young people or new people don't ask, and, and I ask it a lot now, is what what is the question I should be asking, but I, I'm not asking it. I don't know the right question to ask. And then sometimes those people with experience, they will they they will give you the advice that you need because sometimes you even you don't even know what to ask. Right. I mean, what what should I be asking right now? But just doing a good job of examining yourself and the situation and what it's going to take and what do you need and what are the parameters. And, yeah, that's another level of um, of thinking to some degree. But every situation is different. It's the template doesn't always work. Now, you know, we had adjusted before, obviously, in things we've done. But, uh, yeah, there's a there's a million things I do different in that situation. Um. Because Boise State, I mean, that's a special place, isn't it? It is. It's a unique. It's it's kind of like a Lincoln, Nebraska, in that you don't have a pro team in the state. Yeah. Everything's kind of right there. Really good, down to earth folks. Uh, just uh, you got a mix of outdoors and uh, really easy to recruit to. Really supportive community and, and president. They wanted a JC national championship, a D2 national championship, a 1AA national championship, and have had success the whole time because the environment is really and the best good bo- for it. And the they- best bowl game ever. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, it was a great it was a great place, uh, really great for my family. Raised, we've spent eight years there. A um, lot of support. President was very supportive, AD supportive, the community supportive. Uh, it was fun. I mean, when I when I got the job, really, I just said, "Hey, I think we can be a top fifteen team, and here's here's kind of how we're going to do it." And people kind of fish eye you a little bit, and then after a while, they're going to go on, "Hey, that guy was right." But again, you know this; it's it's all about raising the bar. One of my coaches at Colorado played for Mike Ditka with the Bears, and I said, "What was the difference between Mike Ditka and the coach you had before?" And he goes, "The only difference was he just said we're going to win the Super Bowl." Mm-hmm. He just kind of raised the bar and. So we've always kind of tried to do that too. Coach, you talked about asking questions and I guess not knowing what you don't know. I mean, I was reading a book right now on George Washington and when he became general, when they made him general, his first thing that he did was he ordered three books on what it was like to be a general. You know, I mean, that's like, really? I mean, how um, how do you facilitate you know, having confidence in your core values and knowing what you believe and being able to focus on the process, yet being able to make adjustments and try different things. We're always, Rob, we're always not afraid to get creative. And I'm always trying to rattle the cage in terms of how we practice and how we train and the schemes we run. And I like being different and I want to be different. And I'm always looking for ideas outside of football. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, that's why the connection with you is, is intriguing is you just look in other realms and then don't be afraid again to fail. Don't be afraid to try something. I remember when I was at Willamette, uh, we run this offense called the fly where a guy comes in motion and you know, there's a lot of misdirection, a lot of eye confusion. It's a tricky, creative kind of offense. And, and 
I remember somebody asking me, why, why don't they do that at the big schools? It's so good. It's so effective. Why don't they do it at big schools? And I go, well, it, you know, they're afraid to try because if it fails, you know, it, you, you look bad on an epic level. And I, I remember, you know, one of my buddies was coaching special teams in the NFL and I would watch all this tape and there'd be punt teams. And I'd say, hey, man, you have a great opportunity to fake here. Why don't you fake it? And he goes, Hawk, nobody ever got fired for not faking. <laughs> And so what happens is this really, you know this, the, this level of magical performance, of finding joy, of optimal performance is cut off by the fact that we're, we've got these parameters around us by don't stretch too much, don't grow. And you've heard all those, uh, you've heard all those things. You know, a lot of coaches used to say, uh, you know, don't think you'll weaken the ball club. Like, well, Really? Like, what if this guy's smarter than you? What if he has an idea that's better than you? And I, you go back and you look at Pete Maravich and how he played basketball. Mm -hmm. When he first started coming around, everybody's going, you can't play basketball like that. That's not fundamental. That's not sound. And uh, so I really take a lot of stock in those people of getting outside your comfort zone and trying things new and not being able to fail and, or not being afraid to fail. And so we've always been that way. We've always been a little bit funky and but you keep learning, you keep growing, you keep trying, you keep trying to, to build a better mousetrap because you, you know it's out there, and that's the way you stay at it. Coach, that's such a good line, man. I can't wait to use that one. No one's ever got <laughs> fired for not faking it. Fantastic. <laughs> Let, can I ask you a football-specific question? Sure. All right. I'm, I'm, uh, I didn't even think about this before, but in terms of like trying things that are new, um, you know, icing, icing a kicker, especially in the pro level, doesn't work, never works, but coaches still do it because there's like an action bias, right? It's like, all right, I have a timeout. I have to use it. You know, the facts like statistically it doesn't work and people are always going to come back at me saying, well, look, he didn't make it there. And I was like, well, okay, that's a 54 yarder. All right. I mean, the chances of still making it, you know, are still tough, you know, but do you think it's going to get to the game where coaches are not going to try and ice the kicker at some point and are just going to, you know, maybe fake like they're going to do a timeout? Because, I mean, even even now, and I'm sorry for the long question, but even now, no, you they're, they're mentally preparing that, hey, we're going to run out there. We're going to have time to, you know, set, take my time, take a deep breath, focus on what I'm trying to do, and we give them more time, right? Yeah, I think as as the the metrics and people start looking at the the, the, the money ball side of it, I do think analytics are becoming a much bigger part of it, and people are looking at statistics and uh, and kind of buying into that to some degree and saying what the probability rather than just, you know, this is what we've always done or how he's always done it. So I think it does evolve that way a little bit. I mean, there's, there's a book, a math professor from Cal, I believe, several years ago. But one thing he always said, if you were inside the 10-yard line and there was enough time for your team to potentially get the ball back, Mm -hmm. You should always go for it. Never kick the field goal. Never. But again, what happens at the highest levels of football, if you drive down inside the 10 and you go for it and you don't get it and you lose, then everybody's going, you're an idiot. Like, what are you, what are you doing? You should have kicked the field goal there. When all the stats and all the math and all the probability will say, no, you should go for it. Yeah. And, um, but, so, you know, you have to have a coach that's comfortable enough in his, his skin and, and feels strongly enough about what he's doing and convicted enough about it. Otherwise, you get you get blown, you know, you get blown around a little bit. And 
Uh, I've been a coach that goes for it a lot on fourth and one. And a, a lot of times it's because I always talk about just deserving success. And, you know, there's the saying you can't ensure success, but you can deserve it. And, you know, to me, if it's fourth and less than one, then you ought to be able to get that. If you're let, let's let's go, let's throw a rock on the gas pedal and go. And um, we played in, a, in the quarterfinals this year in the FCS uh, championships mm-hmm. up at Eastern Washington. And we were down by a touchdown and we scored with about a minute left and we went for two well everybody was telling me how they were all panicked about oh my gosh what's he doing they're going for two well we got it and then they're thinking he's a genius that was unbelievable well unfortunately they came back and scored with less than a minute to go and beat us but again it's about playing to win right right it's about it's about singing your song doing your dance playing your music and understanding who you are and like that's just just the mentality that we've uh, sort of developed. But again, I guess it goes back to your question about you know you know calling the timeout or you know trying to ice the guy. And I I guess I try not to get so much like being in the head of the opponent. I want to be in our head. Right. Right. <laughs> right. I'm not trying to get in his head. I'm trying to be in our head. You know what does it do to a team mentality? Because Coach Ogeron talked about this. Um, you know, fourth and one, fourth and two, he said, you're going to see us go for it a lot. And we talk about that with the team because all those guys want to go for it. And, but they're like, what does that do for the team and the morale knowing that, hey, when we're going to be in these situations, we're going to be having the rock on the gas pedal? It's, it's immeasurable. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you've dealt in the golf realm a little bit. It's kind of like 10 cup where Kevin Costner just goes, he just keeps hit, hit and he's, I'm just, he's give it to me. I'm going to, I'm going to get it there. And he, He's putting in the water and he's losing, you know, but you, in the end, that mentality is going to pay off for you. Now, in that moment, everybody's going, he's an idiot. Why didn't you just take out a shorter iron and chip it on there and, you know, play ball? And he keeps hitting everything in water. But the more you can get your team to sing their song and do their dance and play their music, they're going to play with more joy. They're going to play with more openness. They're going to play with less fear of failure and, and be in an attack mode and let's go. And we were like that a lot at Boise State, and sometimes we got accused of running it up on teams. And I said, look, you're not in our locker room. You don't understand. It has nothing to do with that. We are going to play. When they start, when the guy puts the tee or the ball on the ground, we're going to play hard. We're going to play smart, and we're going to have fun. And we're going to start fast, and we're going to finish strong. And that's what we do. And I don't care you know, if we're behind by 50 we're going to keep playing and um so that's when you get that going there's a freedom in the spirit of the Mm -hmm. athlete there's some shackles that come off there's some next level thinking and moves and aspiration and inspiration that happens and i mean how many times do you see uh a coach really just congratulate a guy that tried something really unique but it, but it failed. He kind of goes, hey, man, that was a good idea. Yeah. Good job trying that. You know, it, it, but we're all like, don't do that. Don't throw an interception. Don't miss the shot. Um, yeah. Have you ever read Pat Conroy's My Losing Season? No, I haven't, Coach. You got it. You know, Pat Conroy wrote uh, Lords of Discipline and Prince of Tides and God rest his soul, he's passed away. His, his nephew actually coaches hoops at Minnesota. Anyhow, I kind of made a connection because I read this, this uh, my losing season when he played basketball 
at uh, the Citadel, and his coach would be yelling out, don't shoot, don't shoot. <laughs> Just all these negative implants in your head of, you know, at some point it's like, don't play. Do I just stand here? Yeah. But anyhow, I made a connection with uh, Pat a little bit because I reached out to him electronically and said, man, you got to come watch us and you got to see what we do. And it's so much not like that. And um, yeah, I just I think the power of words, the power of emotion. But anyhow, they're going. I mean, I'm with you. Hey, if it's fourth and one, you ought to be able to get one. Yeah, you ought to be able to. So let's just play to win. Um, but, and I experienced this at Iowa state one year, we were up 20 to nothing and it was, I think it was in the start of the second half. We had fourth and one about our 50 and we went for it and we did not get it. And the next play, they ran it down inside the 10 and they scored and it was on and they had, they, they caught moment momentum and they came back and they beat us. And, but you know, everybody's going to point to that way. Well, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have done that. Well, if you're trying to get to that next level of magical performance, you got to do it. Yeah. Coach, um, you know, a lot of times we don't notice those hinge moments until after they're gone, like weeks, months, years later, the impact of one decision, one moment. Uh, what's a hinge moment that you can share with us, Coach? Well, clearly getting fired at Colorado mm -hmm. was a huge hinge moment. I mean, that was a game changer, rocker, set you back, knock you in your seat, make you think about it who are you kind of a moment uh that was that was huge for me I, I i've been bent so many times in my life and like i said i was fortunate enough and this is where you realize the power of coaching i had the power of parenting my now my dad was kind of old school but like he he was able to get you through those adverse moments and let you learn from them and adjust and pick yourself up and keep moving um my grandfather uh, passed away. He was probably the first significant person that passed away in my life. And I remember uh, him saying, you know, recognize the tragedy, but don't become a part of it. Mm. And I remember thinking, wow. Uh, but I, I think in my professional life, probably the, the Colorado moment. Now, again, I went up to Canada and I got fired there again. Uh, I got fired in 2010 in Colorado. And then I went to Canada in 13, got, got fired there uh, again. Um, so it always comes and it always comes in waves, but to me, uh, probably my professional life, the Colorado was the, was the biggest, but I also had a young family at one point when I was a junior college coach, I, my wife wanted to stay at this college of Siskiyou's we were up in Northern California. Mm -hmm. I, I took this D2 job, uh, Sonoma state, which was a, a down kind of by the Bay area, Larry Allen, the hall of famer at, at uh, the Cowboys, he played for us, but I was there a month. And I lost my job. The AD came and said, hey, we have to cut your job because of budget cuts. And I, here I am. I've got four kids. And I'm mm, under 30. Uh, I've got four kids, and I just lost my job. So now I'm substitute teaching. I'm going to uh, the unemployment line and trying to figure out what in the heck I'm going to do. Again, this is the value of a... <laughs> of a great spouse or a great coach or a great mentor. Well, I'd started my master's degree sometime earlier. And my wife really said, hey, Dan, what you really need to do, you need to take this opportunity to step back and let's get that master's degree and give you an opportunity. This is and your so wife I, saying this? Yeah, my yeah. wife, Misty, was saying, hey, you need, and I said, yeah, you're, you're probably right. So I really, again, it forced me to really kind of think about who am I and what am I doing and what do I really want to do? And I, it was funny because I said, some of this stuff, 
you create your own luck, right? It's, they always talk about luck is infatuated with efficient and a prepared mind and all those cool sayings. So I sat down and I said, hey, I really want to go to one of those small colleges up in Oregon and Washington and raise my family and coach football and change lives. And so I actually wrote down the names of these schools. Mm -hmm. So here I am. I don't have a job. I have four kids. I'm on unemployment. I'm trying to substitute teach. And then I decide to go back and get my master's and I write down the names of these schools. Well, I start calling around. This is the power of connection. I start calling around to people I know. I know a guy at Oregon State and he says, hey, Hawk, the you know, the guy at Willamette just stepped down. You should talk to them. And so I'm like, I'm on it. And I went there and it was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. The president, the AD, and uh, we went to, like I said, we went from one and eight to 13 and one in five years. And mm -hmm. and I don't say that because of me, really not. It's because of the support that we had. But really, again, was another hinge moment. Changed the whole direction of my life. Because if I had not gone to Sonoma and lost my job, I would not have got the Willamette job, which is a D3 job, from the JC that I was at. It would yep. have never happened. Never. Um, so it was transformational that way. So, yeah, that's the beauty as a coach. I always kind of sit these guys down when something really bad happens. And I go, okay, what can you learn from this? Mm -hmm. And they always sort of they always sort of look at you. And, you know, there's 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 death. There's divorce. There's, there's war. There's disease. There's... I mean, we're getting, you know, you know, this. we're getting spitballs thrown at us every day. And so to help these kids kind of figure out, you know, how do I not only just take this in, but use it as a force multiplier? I mean, to me, that's one of the best parts of my job, because right now all they feel is sadness and remorse. We lost or somebody died or I didn't do well on a test or my girlfriend left me and I'm going, well, OK, how can you? You know, they get injured a lot. And I think it's interesting because, yeah, as you well know, a lot of parents they don't, they don't, they don't want their kids to get injured. Right? We don't. We don't want our kids to, to get injured. But doggone it, if done right, that's where they really learn a lot. Right. They really learn a lot about themselves and who they are and where they're going and what they're about. And they're, so I'm going. Don't just hide them from the injuries. Let's learn from the injuries. Coach. Um... You know, one of my favorite sound bites of all time is by you. And and the, <laughs> Here we go. And the reason why is because I play it all the time because of the truth that's in it. And my favorite part of that sound bite is when is just the beginning part. I mean, I love the whole thing, but it's an anonymous letter. You know, parents, their involvement with kids and, you know, I mean, whatever kind of adage we want to use, helicopter parents, snowplow parents, whatever. You know, we're creating, at least my standpoint, we're creating – kids athletes of dependency they're dependent then on their parents and the amount of stories that i'm sure that, i mean obviously you know but you have these experiences i mean we're not building the athletes that are capacity to be able to handle this sort of stuff what what about the role of the parents do you think is so crucial to you know not only with sports but developing you know the society that we need yeah rob it's it's interesting. Uh, I talk to our parents, and this is another thing I learned from all that. You need to talk to the parents and, um, and, and help educate the parents and help train the parents. And when we have our summer camps, I have sessions where I do talk to the parents. Here's the thing I find. They, they love their, their kids dearly. They do, and that's great, and that's awesome. That's mm -hmm. always where it starts. Um, 
But I think it's interesting in our in our society how things have sort of changed. And really, we 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 found these horrors in these abusive coaches and abusive people. Uh, and it's it's happened in the clergy. There are these there's these moments where these young, precious lives are torn apart. And then now so then you have parents are kind of going, oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm not going to let that happen. Right. I mean, I'm, I, I'm not going to let that happen. So trying to, to find the balance there. And what I tell the parents is, hey, look, I'm trying to help your son be successful. That's why I'm in coaching. And I want to work with you and I want to handle this. But I also say you wouldn't go to an airport probably and run out and jump in a plane and take off and fly, even though you don't know how to fly a plane. And you wouldn't because you, you, you'd die. You'd crash the plane and you'd die. So you don't do that. But but many times, like in parenting, we, we do that, but we don't really know. Like, we don't know how should I help my son or daughter negotiate right. these situations. We don't know. So we act out of love, and the way we love is we, we nurture, and, we, and that's part of it. Yep. Don't get me wrong. Um, so I work with these parents of saying, look, here's what you need to do when, uh, for instance, I talked about the mastery orientation thing. I said, look, if your son comes home or daughter comes home, and you're blaming the official, or you're blaming his teammate, or you're blaming his coach, what you're teaching that young person is your life is controlled by other people. Yep. And you're externalizing your results to these other people. And that what you need to do is when they come home, you need to say, what did you learn? Right. What What could you have done differently? How could, you know, what can you do differently going forward? Rather than saying, you know, getting in the car and oh, that was a lousy call and your coach should have thrown the ball or he should have played this guy or um, because now, you know, this you're you go from mastery orientation to learned helplessness and the learned helplessness person's going, I can't do anything. I don't control my life. And so we speak to them a lot of those kinds of terms about how you develop a mastery oriented person. And I tell them, I go, look, guys. We have amazing parents. I always tell them, you should write a book. We have amazing kids on it. We have a really academic school, one of the best in the country, top yep. 10 public school. So we have really mastery-oriented kids, and the parents are phenomenal. I always tell them, you guys should write a book and tell people you know, how to, how to raise kids. But um, <clears throat> So we help try to educate and work with them, and I say, hey, look, um, we deal with these situations. What happens with injuries? What happens with concussions? What happens when they flunk? What happens when they don't play? How should they how should they handle it? And uh, so I find that to be very beneficial. It's very beneficial for the parents. They like it. They understand it. Um, Wait, coach. Say, what, what is sorry. That? So you're coaching the parents up on if your athlete gets injured or they're not starting, here's what yes, you sir. need to do. Okay. Yes, sir. Because I think in many cases they don't know what to do. Right. And sometimes we do talk about the <laughs> the paradigm where I go, okay, imagine this. Imagine that we're, we have your son at practice for two hours in a meeting and he's lifting and we're spending all this time talking about your mom really screwed this up. She shouldn't have done this. Your dad shouldn't have done that. He was wrong. <laughs> and I said, do you understand what happens? Like if you're doing that with your son about us, do you understand the wedge that it drives in there, yeah. the distrust? And, and I said, look, I'm not saying we're perfect. We're trying to be. We're, we're not. Um, but let's let's communicate and let's cooperate on this. And if you're... You know, if you're getting a lot of feedback, then, you know, call me up and just say, hey, you got to you got to go talk to Rob, man. He's just not in a good place right now. 
okay, cool. I, that's great. I appreciate it. Let's, let's go. Or, Hey, he just lost his girlfriend and, um, or, or whatever. I'm, I'm good with, with all that stuff, but we want our kids to succeed so bad that we do want to snowplow and make sure it happens. But we just, we need to understand that the way you get stronger is by building muscle. Yeah. You lift weights and you tear muscle fiber and blood comes in and you get stronger and, and uh, you don't get stronger by lifting the weight off of them. And so we spend a lot of time talking about that. And I think that's a, uh, obviously a key thing going on in our society. And they talk about now that's why kids have a tremendous amount of anxiety and uh, discontentment and, uh, you know, low self-esteem. And it's never, you know, we're, we're having sort of an epidemic really in the country. And there's a lot of factors, I think, that that go into that. But Hey, we all want our kids to succeed. We all want to protect them, but we got to figure out like what's the best way to do that. I mean, I have four kids, two daughters, two sons. They all played multiple sports. Uh, the time I ever talked to their coach about anything was, I mean, less than five ever about it, really about anything. Yeah. They come home, they don't like their playing time. I'm gonna go go see your coach. They don't like your position. Go see your coach. They don't like what somebody's doing on the team. Go talk to them. I'm like, you go do it. And I learned this again a little bit from my dad, (laughs) a little different situation. But I was a little when I was a I was only five, two when I was a freshman. I was a little dude. And these these two big dudes, one was a sophomore, one was a junior in high school. They were bullying me. They were knocking me around. These guys were not they weren't beating me up, but they were just kind of bullying me. And I was getting kind of irritated about it. I went home and told my dad about it. I said, well, he said, well, what do you want me to do? I said, well, I I want you to fix it. And he goes, son, I can't fix it. You need to fix it. I remember thinking, what? I mean, these guys are both bigger than me, but, you know, you end up start finding solutions of how you're going to fix it. Like, how can I effectively fix it? And those little hinge moments, you know, forge you into a guy when you have a problem, when you're out of a job, how do you fix it? When you get hurt, how do you fix it? When your relationship's in trouble, how do you fix it? You know, you're not relying on outside forces to to fix it. You know, I think you put that so eloquently, and it's true, right? But it's like, you know, and I tell my – and whenever I was speaking to parents, I tell them this too. I said, don't talk to the coach. Well, you know, but we got this problem going on. Don't talk to the coach. We want Sport teaches whatever we want to teach, right? Do we want to teach communication or do we want to teach it, hey, when there's a problem, mom's going to step in and fix it? Because when they're learning this is when they're 24 years old. And now they're being told for the first time, hey, you know what? You're really not good. And um, and we got more kids that are, yeah, great. But we got more kids that are living back at home after college. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't want my kid coming back at home. And I understand bad situations happen, right? But, I mean, these are kids that they graduate and then they're just no passion. No, they're lost. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting because <laughs> – yeah, we use this word fair, Ruth, fair. Now, certainly we all we all want justice in life, and and we that that's important. But let's talk about fair. One of my comments always are: life's not fair, and neither neither is football. Neither is, and so how do we deal with that? How do we handle that? And uh, why is it it's not fair that somebody's mother passes away from breast cancer? It's not fair that someone's dad goes away to war. It's not fair that somebody's unemployed. It's there's a lot of things that are not fair. And uh, so I, I have eight, I'm blessed with eight grandkids, my oldest, which is 10, and he's really kind of in his wheelhouse right now. But they'll say a lot of times, hey, it's not fair. And I go, guys, if, 
it's never fair. There's nothing fair about it. And that's not trying to be cruel at all. You're trying to understand, like, you think it's all going to be roses, and it's not. Yep. And then how do you how do you deal with it? And um, and I think that's that's critical of just, hey, guess what? Not every teacher is going to be great. Not every boss is going to be great. Not every coach is going to be great. Like, how do we make sense of it and kind of go, okay, hey, yeah. my boss is really smart, but he doesn't have social skills. Or, you know, I mean, my, my coach is, he's a really smart tactician, but he's not much of a motivator. Well, gosh, how many of us just check off every single right. box in every category? It's just, gosh, I mean, I've been blessed. I've been married for 37 years. I got so many imperfections. My wife's able to overlook everything and, <laughs> and, look, and look at the good things. But that's, that's part of that. You know, that's why, um, that's why I'm so passionate about sport and youth sport because, look, I don't want a kid fumbling the ball running in the end zone. Right. I mean, that's awful. It sucks. You know what? But I had a ball go through my legs, you know, and I lost a ball game before. And but at what point do we want our kids learning? OK, that happened. Look, failure. It's not fatal. It sucks and it's painful. But now what? Right now, what? And where else can we teach that other than in new sports? I don't know. I mean, that's why I think it's so beautiful. It's a great it's Rob. It's such a great laboratory. The thing, I guess, for the parents that, that listen is. I tell them that pain really is beautiful. It's beautiful because that means you are in the fire. Like you could be outside and have this neutral sort of existence and experience, but those highs and lows, man, that means you're living, you're living the dream. You're in the fire. Um, and you have to, you have to enjoy that. And my, again, my grandson, he played in this basketball tournament, this, this past summer and they <laughs> they played a team got beat 50 to 4 mm. 50 to 4 but it was really cool cuz he was extremely despondent and uh I and again his mom and dad are great and they but we really I really worked at helping him learn like okay you know how do you transform that and you were in the fire and what if you never tried and you didn't meet those guys and you never saw that level of competition and there are just so many things he can learn and take away from it rather than just the score. Right. And you know as well as I do, um, hey, great athletes and great teams, they compete against their selves and their standards. And there might be games where they win, but the next day they wake up and they just go, man, I just I didn't play very well. Or there are games when they play, they play great, but they, you know, they lose. And I always say that's the beauty of track, right? Because if you PR – you, if you got fourth and you PR, you're happy, mm-hmm. you know, but if nobody times and you just run and you go, oh, geez, I got fourth. And you're like, hey, dude, you just PR'd. Right. You just ran the best you've ever run. Yeah. Um, but yeah, having the creativity and the experience to make that happen and you just see what a, uh, my same, my same grandson was um, watching a little clip on Twitter the other day. I sent it to him about Mike Trout, Major League Baseball ran it. And, of course, Mike's a really talented player. But the, if you see that clip on Twitter, it's really cool. But he talks about in there just, you know, just, I just play for the love of the game. I'm not playing mm-hmm. for the money. You know, I still call my mom. I just – the whole process part of it. It's not how many home runs I hit. and it's not, That's not it. I'm playing for the love of the game and enjoy the game and be the best I can. And it was interesting. There were a lot of things in it. But I told my grandson, I go, what did you take out of that? Mm-hmm. And that, that's what he took out of it. And I go, okay, good. We're, we're making hay right now. 
Um, when uh, we watch all the classics and uh, we watch Field of Dreams and like the part that brings me to tears, obviously the end. But when Shoeless Joe Jackson says, "Man, I'd, I'd play for nothing," you know, I'd play yeah. for nothing, and it's it's true, man, just to be around it and be a part of it. Um, coach, using your line that you gave me, what what questions should I be asking that I'm not asking? <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's a good one i i guess yeah i guess really what's what's at the heart of what drives me and i guess i i my answer would be i just want to make a positive difference i really do i just want to make a positive difference in the lives of others that's why i coach i tell a lot of these coaches when i coach and i've won a lot of games and a lot of championships and as we mentioned i've got fired but Man, when you go into it with a full heart and the right intentions and you really love your kids and you really have their best interests at heart and you really want to make a positive difference, you'll win a lot of games. And it's just so funny trying to get people to figure that out. And I have a saying, quit trying to win and just be a winner. Mm-hmm. But but then you got to study, like, what is a winner? What do winners do? And it's not it's the stuff you talk about and I talk about and we talk about of overcoming adversity and being mastery oriented and, and uh, being able to envision success and having high standards and, you know, setting goals. And um, that's being a winner. And if you go out and do that, you'll, you'll accomplish whatever you want. And we just came back from our conference meetings the big sky meetings and we we won our conference championship last year and we went to the quarterfinals of the playoffs won 10 games and, and of course everybody wants to know well how, how are you going to do better and how are you going to go farther and i'm like that's not what it is we, we don't talk about that we just try to be the best version of ourselves every day and how can we really sink our teeth in and enjoy this thing and uh and it's funny our our players are so great they've drank the kool-aid and they they talked about some guys asking them questions they just sort of laugh because it's just not how we think yep and i think the more you can get athletes you know this to go out and play for the love of the game and have joy and control what they can control and enjoy being in the moment and um i know you've done some work with golf and i think golf's an amazing metaphor i'm not very good at it. i'm a fullback most quarterbacks and kickers are good golfers i'm fullbacks are not very good golfers uh but you know okay you hit that shot and then you move to the next shot doesn't matter if you're in the trees doesn't matter if you're down the middle um you know they all say hey you know drive for show and putt for dough and you know everybody wants to get out the driver and rip this big one but hey chipping and putting is where it's at and that comes down to the mental part of it and yeah and how bad how bad do you want to work on that short game too nothing nothing sexy about the short game but yeah Coach, we can keep going on that one, man. Oh yeah, I got, I got, yeah, one more, I have one more question, yeah. Coach. Yeah, and I really appreciate your time, man. I love this interview. Um, you know, when Brett Favre won the Super Bowl trophy, he was holding up the trophy, and he said, um, you know, all the celebration going on around him, and he said, "Is that it?" And the reason why I said that, and I kind of talk about that. I mean, Chuck Noll would go through depression after winning the Super Bowl. Bill Walsh, after winning his third, you know, he's in the locker room. And he said, I felt like an outsider. And my question goes into like the process is more important than the product. Like when you've won these championships, um, has it been what you envisioned and how long did that feeling last? 
It has, Rob, and I learned Jim Soaker was our Hall of Fame coach. When I was at Davis, we had we were a, we were a D2 team, non-scholarship, but had won the conference championship, get this now, 20 years in a row. 20 wow. in a row. <laughs> okay. Yeah, NC2A record, 20 in a row. And Jim Soaker was phenomenal. He was really into Eastern philosophy and uh, – like the, the saying I, lot, I say a lot, and you, you kind of get into Zen and you get into the Buddhist culture a little bit, but the master archer seeks not the target, rather to become the bow. I'll say that again. The Zen master seeks not the target, rather to become the bow. Mm-hmm. And I learned that as a player for Jim Soaker, and I really coached that way. So it was never about the accomplishment. It was always about the process and trying to grow and trying to enhance yourself. And, you know, there's a there's a we use the metaphor about the hero's journey. And I'm sure you've read about that. And the hero's journey is you separate from the known and you go to the unknown and you find a mentor. And then you you go to the abyss of life and you come back transformed. And then the cycle repeats itself. And that is the journey. And that's the hero's journey. And that's what we're really trying to get our guys and our and, and me to be on. So when I've you appreciate it, but you wake up the next morning and what you really appreciate is the magical process that you're teaching your organization to invest in because you know it can lead to great marriage, a great job, a great career, a great life. Um and that to me is the is the beauty of all of it. So I've never had that, but I know when people invest in like I gotta win the Super Bowl, I gotta win the Super Bowl. Well, why don't and this sounds kind of corny, but why don't you just become the Super Bowl and let it take you where it wants? Mm-hmm. If you can become the Super Bowl, and I think that's where you have continued, you know, internally combustible success and happiness and joy. But uh, you know, you've heard many of it's like, you know, people that make a million dollars or want to make a million dollars, you get there and you make a million dollars. and It doesn't make you any happier than right. than when you made fifty thousand dollars. People think it is, but it's not. But it's it's the joy of the journey and the process. And so that's what we really invest in. And and hey, if we I, unfortunately, I've been in two national championship games and we've, we've lost them both. Um, but that's not really what we're trying to do. Um, we're it's, just trying to recreate ourselves and, and be our best version of ourselves every day. That's what we're trying to do. Is, um, is it about the relationships too, coach? Without question. It's all about love. It's all about relationships. It's all about getting the best out of each other. It's, it's about trust. It's, but you know, until you fully give of yourself, you're not going to fully get the other person back. Uh, I'm a big Maslow's hierarchy of needs guy. And I tell all these people that went through psych, I go, I want you to go back and think about this guy. Cause you know, Freud said we were all kind of messed up and we're just trying to get through it. And, but Maslow said, wait, well, hey, we're, we're all a garden. If we're all watered and weeded and fertilized and we get enough sun and you know, we're all going to grow. And, and, and Maslow at the bottom said, we all have basic needs. Well, there's food, water, shelter. We have to have that. I mean, Think about the kids that go to school hungry. Well, it's hard to learn math when you're hungry. And then the next part is, and I think it's huge, huge in life and in sports, but you have to be psychologically safe and physically safe. Well, hopefully, and unfortunately, as we've seen, 
There have been some athletes here recently, they weren't physically safe. Well, mm -hmm. how are you supposed to perform? But then the psychological safety is about, are you going to embarrass me? Or if I make a mistake, are you going to chastise me in front of everybody? Are you going to, you know, we're, we're not going to do that. And then the next part is what I call the big four. And again, you know this because this is your, your life, but I'm just rehashing it for the listeners because I'm telling you, I say this at clinics all the time. They all want to go to the thing where the guy has the, you know, got the greatest pass plays in America. They, that, that room will be packed. The guy that wants to talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, there'll be six guys in there that, that got lost and figured they might as well sit there because they're embarrassed that they're in the room. But Maslow, I believe this. These are the four things. And we try to give every one of our kids this and our, and our coaches this. Everybody wants a sense of power. Well, what does that mean? Well, give you an example. I scheduled a team meeting this spring. Well, there was the intramural softball championship, of which our teams were – and it was kind of during the same time. Well, I had a backup quarterback go call me up and go, Coach, is it okay if we move the team meeting? Because we got the intramural championships going on. I'm like, cool. I tell the story. When I was at Boise, we used to wear white cleats. We had a backup running back come in. He said, Coach, did you already order the cleats? I said, yeah. He goes, well, we want black. And I go, well, let me see what I can do. And I'm thinking, black? Man. Okay, so I call him up, and I hang up, and he goes, well. And I said, well, you got it done. You black cleats. He's thinking, I just walked into the head coach's office and got – but sometimes we recruit crucial moments in games. It's not what play we want. I'm like, what do you want to run? Mm -hmm. What do you like? So it, you got to give up your power to get power. And so many coaches and or teachers just think, i got to be the overlord – and tell everybody what to do. And um, so there's power. Then there's being needed. You know, what does that mean? Well, you have a role. You have a spot. And everybody wants, like, you know, you're probably smarter and faster than me, but maybe I'm bigger and stronger. So if we play the same position, why am I competing against you? Because we have different skill sets. But I just tell guys, do something well consistently, and I'm going to play you. Mm -hmm. And that's really like you're going to have a role on our football team and you're going to know what that role is. Now, hey, guess what? You're better than me and you're going to play more and you're going to carry it more than me. But I have a role. I have a niche and I'm recognized for it. And so, hey, when I was at Boise, I think the most amount of personnel groupings, that's all the different people. I think we had 56 one game last year on defense. We played 35 guys in one game, 35 mm -hmm. guys, different guys played. But so they know I'm needed. I have a role like I and I'm not competing against you or every I'm com I, and we all know this as athletes. If you're on a basketball team and you're the seventh man, you're hoping the two guys in front of you get ineligible or break their leg or, you know, because I want to play. But then we have to belong. And there's a lot of things that goes about that of, you know, whether they come to your house for dinner, or whether you include them in things and they feel like they belong, you know, their name and you. You know, you recognize where they're from and who they're, what they're about. And, um, and then here's the other one. We all want to be competent. We all want to be good at something. We want to know what we're good at. We want other people to know what we're good at. And so, again, sometimes I got to ask a kid. But I'm telling guys, I mean, I had this kid one time, was a tight end for us. He was 6'5", 250, ran 4'5", mm -hmm. verticaled over 40. This guy was an unbelievable physical specimen. So I get him in my office after the season. And I go, hey, what, what do you do well? And he goes, man, coach, I don't do anything well. 
And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I have failed you miserably. Like, this guy's one of the best physical players I've ever seen in my life. And he doesn't know. I've not told him what he's good at. So I'm into that. We, we have our coaches do that. I want our players to know what that is. Mm-hmm. And that's where, again, when you talk about relationships, and that's where that self-actualized person now starts flowering down on the rest of it. And one of my greatest joys in our program right now is I bring in the freshmen and I'll ask them, what's the biggest surprise that you got? And they say how the older guys on the team treated us. They mentored us. They loved us. They don't haze us. They don't intimidate us. They don't make us act like we got to, you know, they just bring us in and they, they coach them up and love them up and help them. And, and then you have this, gosh, I'm just telling you, Rob, like our culture right now is so spectacular, man. But that's what, cause that's what drives it. It's those things. And then, Hey, you get first downs and you make field goals and you make a tackle and you get an interception and all that other stuff happens. But, man, that's so far down the road. It's all culture over scheme and it all starts with relationships. And, you know, what's your plan to develop those relationships? And so, yeah, we take a lot of stock in that. I'm, awesome, I'm into that man. huge. Coach, you got to be giving that presentation then, man. I, I guarantee that room will be packed if you give that. <laughs> you give that Abraham, hierarchy of needs. Um that's great, man. I've got a hierarchy of mental toughness, and it, it kind of follows that same thing. But uh, you got to give that, coach. I guarantee that'd be packed, man. Yeah. Well, it's it's where it's at. It's it, that's that's where it's at. But yeah. you know, everybody wants a better play. Sure. Sure. I mean, there's a lot of plays. We we I've won a lot of championships. We run different offenses, different defenses. It's not about the plays. I mean, what? now I would say this: it's how you run the plays, but it's right. not about the plays. Well, that's why I've always thought it's it's always amazing when. You know, you hear the best coaches. I mean, Tom Izzo, I mean, he still has open practices. You know, come watch the practice, you know, and, and there's no hiding anything because he knows, again, same thing. It's about that culture and how we go about things, not what we do. Yeah. We had a team that we played this past year. There was a coach, a guy I knew from, and we, we were playing against them, and he wa- he wanted to come to spring football and watch. And I said, come on. Yeah. And our guys are going, huh? I said, I don't care. Young guy wants to learn. Let him come on in here. Yeah, it's awesome. You know? Yeah, so – yeah, it's about – I competed against Frosty Westering, who was a Hall of Fame coach up in uh, Washington, won over 300 games, several D3. He's wrote some good, really good books, Make the Big Time Where You're At. But, you know, Frosty was amazing. Like, his kids would come out and play Frisbee before the game. And, you know, if you beat him, he'd come over and hug you. What a great, spectacular performance. And, I mean, this guy was – he was unbelievable. And then it's, when the game started, his, his teams, they'd take you to the woodshed. Now, those kids played with so much love and joy for the game. And um, he he used to say – I use this saying. This is a good one for you. Teams come to beat us. We come to be us. Love it. And, and that's where it goes back to that white-hot vision. Like, I always tell people, like, who are you? Do you know who you are? You know, can it be summed up in a word or a simple saying? Or what? what is it that you really are? And then be that. Be your authentic self. And again, you know this. If if you're your authentic self, you no longer compete against outside forces. You're competing against your own authenticity. And that's really just what we try to do. Coach, we got uh, so much out of this. I mean, probably seven, eight one-liners, a couple book book recommendations, and then just the philosophy, Coach. Man, I'm going to be the bow. Coach, thank you so much. Thank you so much, man, for uh, joining us and taking the time, man. I appreciate that. 
I really appreciate you reaching out. It's I think things are it's funny how things happen in life a little bit. But I've been on your website. I've been listening to your podcasts. I've got a lot out of them. They're very inspirational to me. And uh, yeah, you send those books. I'll uh, I'll read them because I'm I'm like a crack addict right now. I mean, I people always go, "What are you reading?" And I pull out my bag, and there's yep. there's like four books in there, and I'm I'm banging all these podcasts and. It's hard for me sometimes to watch or read things like I go, if I can't use this with my team or my coaches, like what? I don't I don't want to read it. Like, but if it's something I can pass on to somebody else, I'm just like drinking through a fire hose. It's it's something it's amazing. So, yeah, yeah, you send them. I'll read them. Appreciate you, coach. Yeah. Thanks for reaching out, man. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Mental Toughness Podcast. If you like what you heard today, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. You can also check us out on Twitter at Dr. Rob Bell or visit